Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here. Today's podcast adventure, episode 55 of Disneyland for Designers. And it seems to me that when you get to the 55th episode, how can you not talk about 1955? Today's episode is called July 17th. You know what that day is. But today, like I've been trying to do recently, is a different version of that story. Philander Butler will join me in part two, where we have an open discussion about the opening of Disneyland, how it really changed the world in several different ways. And then for members of Club 1313, Philander and I go over some topics that have just dropped recently that relate to 1955 and Disneyland. The fact that Disney Plus is now going to start making content themed around a multiverse that exists inside of the Disney parks globally. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about, and all of it will be happening today on Disneyland for Designers, episode 55. But don't forget, if you want to hear today's bonus content, about 45 minutes of Philander and I going through all these various different topics, I will need you to help support the content and become a member of club1313.com, where you not only get bonus content each and every week that we put out a new podcast, but lots of other fun things like exclusive YouTube streams. Uh, Zoom calls where we all hang out. Some of us get together and watch movies, dine in real life, meet up in real life. A real community of people that love not only Disneyland, but the emotional story behind it, the art, the design, just everything that makes someone a great citizen of Disneyland. So this is our very first episode, dropping bonus content. And let me just say to all of those that took a chance on these first two months while I'm actually building Club 1313, I thank you so much for your support enabling me to do this full-time to make this a big part of my job and to keep going out to the park and doing Tuesday night live streams, weekday, daily videos over on the YouTube channel. It's all made possible by the members of Club 1313. I appreciate you so much, and I will always try to make content that supports you for supporting me. What do you say we get started with episode 55 of Disneyland for Designers as we open up our own new era in creating content around the story? of Disneyland. Your attention, please. The Disneyland Limited, now leaving for a complete trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Today's story is a different story about July 17th, 1955. It's not going to be about Oh, Walt had to choose toilets or water fountains, ladies' shoes sinking into the asphalt, or how many people jumped the fence because somebody was bootlegging invitations to the media preview day of Disneyland. No, that's not the 1955 July 17th story that I want to tell you. I want to tell you a story that actually starts 475 days before Disneyland opened. My story begins March 29th, 1954. And what I would ask you to do today is right now, try to imagine everything that I'm telling you without the reality that you're living in now be in reality. Try to imagine a Disneyland-less world. Try to imagine a place where this hasn't been built, this doesn't exist. It will give you a frame of reference of just how monumental everything we're talking about today truly is. Look, it's Disneyland. 
Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. The reason why I believe that the true, impressive story of Disneyland starts on March 29th, 1954, is this is when Walt Disney solidifies a deal after being told no by NBC and CBS. He solidifies a deal with American Broadcasting Paramount Theaters, ABPT, which would eventually go on to morph into ABC. They agreed to invest $500,000 in Disneyland, which was about 34.5% of what was needed to guarantee a $4.5 million bank loan. But the most important part, getting away from all of that money, which the money is important. You need money to build the magic. But what I think is the most important part of the story is they guaranteed a weekly TV program that would air on ABC, which would be Walt Disney's Disneyland. I mean, getting money to invest and to build something, that's huge, that's monumental. I don't have to explain to you the value of money. But the value of this marketing, the value of having a weekly time slot where you could sit down and just say, hey, this is this thing that I'm building. I would love for you to try to find a way to come visit me someday. This type of advanced marketing had never been done before. And in many ways, it's absolutely genius. We're going to create content that tells you about this project that we're working on feverishly around the clock because we've given ourselves, quite honestly, a ridiculous deadline to make. Remember when I gave you the challenge to imagine a world without a Disneyland? So that's very important because imagine doing a TV show, telling everyone the story of a place that they're going to fall in love with, but you know that it's not even built yet. And you also know you're having problems building it. The biggest thing I always think about when I look at this archival footage of Walt Disney, when he was doing the Walt Disney's Disneyland weekly TV show, was Walt convincing us that this would be a place of magic, a place of escapism, a place where dreams come true? Or was Walt really trying to convince himself? Because he would go and stand in front of the cameras, show people these beautiful constructed models, show people shorts that were themed around the various lands that would soon be at Disneyland. But he knew the reality. He knew there was dirt on the ground, plywood in stacks, unfinished projects, and starting to have to make decisions on this or that. Can we get this done or should we work on that? It was going down to the wire. It was, quite honestly, a disaster. It was a mess. But yet, as a true entertainer, he stood in front of the camera and told you it was perfect. Or maybe he was telling himself, it will be perfect. Now that I've promised the world this, I have to deliver. One of the reasons why this podcast, this project is called Disneyland for Designers, you don't have to be a designer to listen, but you do have to think about the design of Disneyland, which is the part that I'm most obsessed with. And the reason why this era of pre-Disneyland doing a TV show talking about it is so intoxicating to me because it illustrates that there was artwork before there was anything else. In the world of design, in the world of consumer products, in the world of media, everything comes from art. Everything is initially a sketch that then gets passed over to draftsmen, engineers, people that can literally take that sketch and flesh it out into a working plan where anyone that is a trained professional can pick up a hammer and start 
building this vision. Disneyland was a drawing that one day came to life. But during this era, it is just a drawing. It's just models. It's just an idea. It hadn't been constructed yet. However, Walt showed up every week like a true entrepreneur, a true businessman, or maybe a snake oil salesman. He showed up every week straight face and told you about how beautiful it was. The excitement that's waiting for you, the magic that you will find if you can just find your way to Anaheim, California. The man was trying to sell everyone, including himself, the dream of Disneylandia. One of the major things we have to thank ABC TV for was they urged Walt to get rid of Disneylandia and go with the name Disneyland. Thank you so much, ABC. I'm a big Disneyland guy. I don't know if I could be a big Disneylandia guy. Walt Disney's Disneyland. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Each week as you enter this timeless land, one of these many worlds will open to you. Frontierland. Tall tales and true from the legendary past. Tomorrowland. Promise of things to come. Adventureland. The wonder world of nature's own realm. Fantasyland, the happiest kingdom of them all. Presenting this week, the Disneyland Story. After a year of selling the dream to himself and everyone else, finally July 17th had appeared. It was time for Dateline Disneyland, which would be a very unique broadcast over on the ABC network. The reason why they gave up the money and investment and the reason why they invested in a weekly show was they were guaranteed for giving Walt money that he desperately needed to build Disneyland that they would be able to do live coverage of the media opening on Saturday, July 17, 1955. This was called Dateline Disneyland and actually wasn't a part of Walt Disney's Disneyland. At this moment when Disneyland opens, one of the things I find to be most impressive is how all of the shops and restaurants were leased out to private businesses. This goes again to show any way possible to fund the dream. Taking the land of Disneyland and time-sharing it or cutting it up into smaller portions that you could sublease out, it was genius to let other businesses run inside their business. Once again, context is king. This is really before the invention of the America Mall Putting somebody else's business inside of your own is a revolutionary way to think of, but it's all about Disneyland. If these folks can come in and operate a restaurant and and make a profit, that's fine. I hope that they can flourish. But what I hope most of all is that we can make money off of that space. And in many ways, because they had so much to cover with groundskeeping, the, the infrastructure of the entire park but also operating all of these new attractions that none of this had been built before. Just having someone else operate Main Street, run those shops, 
run those restaurants with rent and a kickback to the company. It was a way to diversify all of the efforts and to profit off of it. It shows the streamlined type of profitability and business thinking that makes me love the dark side of Disney. I know so many people just want to focus on the magic and not look at the money, but the money is what funds the magic. And so I see both of them as as partners in this amazing story. But it was July 17th. It was time for the special to air. This is what Disney had sold to ABC and what ABC had bought into. And in true Walt Disney fashion, it was hosted by Art Linkletter, who did the broadcast for free because he worked out a back-end deal with Walt where he would get to lease a shop on Main Street in return for doing the broadcast. It's that kind of backdoor dealing that makes you realize that this was a family-owned business and they were cutting deals every way possible with one goal in mind. Let's get this thing open. Let's get it off the ground. This broadcast was revolutionary for the time. At this particular moment, and once again, let's put context into our minds. This type of live coverage did not exist. It was the largest, most complicated show ever attempted for live TV at this time. There was over 20 different cameras that were stationed all around Disneyland. Cranes didn't exist. Well, regular cranes existed, so they put men in cages and dangled them with cameras. They needed so much camera cable that they had to borrow it from nearby stations in nearby states. The show would go on at 4.30 in the afternoon and run till 6 p.m. Disneyland time. Therefore, they could accommodate people in a primetime slot out on the East Coast from 7.30 to 9 o'clock. But living out here or visiting out here, you know the one time you don't want to be out in the sun for 90 minutes straight is the 4.30 to 6 o'clock slot on July summer days. The park had opened at 10 a.m. that morning, so they would go live six and a half hours later, which means there was already all kinds of problems. People coming and going, the audience had settled in. Like They just didn't go into a blank slate, film this, and then let people in. They already had people circulating all around and then decided to go live and create a TV show out of it. And imagine me in Walt Disney. He was probably so completely stressed out. Everybody from every direction asking him and Roy different questions. What do we do about this? What do we do with this problem that's arising? Like probably fatigued in every single way. And then also, oh yeah, I've been hyping this up on TV weekly for a year now. Uh, I really hope that everything comes together, not only in the way that I dreamed that it would, but in the way that I promised everyone that it would. Because this was a first in a lifetime moment for TV where everyone would be brought into the single event live on television. There had to be so much stress going on. This was the weekly TV show's grand finale. This was the promise materialized. This was the moment that everyone had been sold, including Walt himself. Sure, it was sloppy and disastrous in the details. The impossible had been made possible in way too quick of a time. So yeah, it was rough around the edges. Everything didn't go off the way that one would dream that it would. I mean, most things on their opening days don't. But what I love about this moment in time 
Disastrous in the details, but monumental in the mindset. The marketing rollout had worked. Twice as many people were there in attendance. People started lining up at 2 a.m. The marketing, it had worked. Maybe too well. And that they had made this the must-attend event, the must-attend place to get to. These are all things we're used to living in the age of FOMO, where we can jump online and buy tickets for whatever we want to go to, waiting overnight for things to open up. It's become a part of a, a badge of honor to be a fan. But these were all new ideas in 1955. FOMO hadn't quite been built yet, but Disney was doing a flex on it. So sure, not only had the future of theme park theming been completely redesigned in front of everyone's eyes, but also the future of marketing had been redesigned. When you look at Dateline Disneyland and the Walt Disney's Disneyland story, were these commercials or were they content or were they somewhere in the middle? And did people mind? Because what Walt was selling was something that they wanted to buy. This is a blurred line that still exists. And in fact, federal regulations have gone in to try to police somewhat of putting in warning for children. Is something advertising or is it content? Because young minds can't decipher the difference. But I would also say adult minds that want to be entertained, that want to buy into an idea, know that something is an advertisement. But if you believe so much in the content, You don't mind what's being sold to you because in your heart, you're already willing to purchase it. This type of top-down strategy, make a TV show that promotes a destination, open up the destination, sell the tickets that came from the TV show, cover it live, make everyone want to get there. That is the exact top-down strategy that made Bob Iger possibly the best Disney CEO ever. But was the secret to his success? Really figuring out how to bring in these outside properties, figuring out a way to market to us the movie or TV show that we love in various locations, not limited to the park that we love to visit so much. This top-down strategy that made Bob Iger one of the best Disney CEOs ever was really walking into the footprints of what did the man do that started this business? How do I think as much like him? What did Walt do when he was behind the steering wheel of this corporation? What was his early contributions to innovation, not just in the theming and the experience, but in the business model that built and sold the theming and the experience? Walt Disney definitely made a monumental impact on the world of theme parks on July 17th, 1955. But I would argue he may have made a greater impact on the world of marketing on that same day. How do you do, everyone? This is Hank Weaver. For the past year, this signature has announced the opening of Disneyland, the show. Now, it announces the opening of Disneyland The Place. The people and eyes around the world are focused on these 160 acres here in Anaheim, California. This afternoon, Disneyland, the world's most fabulous kingdom, 
will be unveiled before an invitational world premiere, and you are guests. Art Linklater will be your host, and with ABC crews and cameras on the spot, will guide you through this truly magic land. As we fast forward in the true impact of July 17, 1955, we go 42 years into the future. At this moment, Disney now owns all of its own shops and restaurants, creating extreme revenue inside of the park by manufacturing their own goods, selling them in their own stores with their own cast members, providing all of the customer service in a rent-free environment with purchasing these products in huge quantities, making it highly, highly profitable and doing all of this with a captured customer that has already spent money to go through the front gate for the day or bought an annual pass to go through the gate for an entire year. But in 1996, 42 years later, from the beginning of today's story, Disney purchased ABC, the partner that helped them raise capital and raise awareness through this marketing of Walt Disney's Disneyland story would now be acquired by Walt Disney's company, now owned by the park that it helped build and promote. This 360 experience is what I love about the world of business. If you're an employee someplace, in particular a union employee, then you know all about the rules of seniority. First one to shows up, gets all the rights over everybody that shows up after he or she. But in the world of business, in the world of the entertainment business, there is no such thing as seniority. At any given moment in time, whichever company, whichever person gains the momentum, gains the trust of the public, and gains profitability, can lap anyone else. And in many times, the seniority of being someplace first can work to your detriment. But in this story of slow and steady, winning the race, the fact that Disney was able to acquire the partner that helped them build and promote the park, to me, it's one of the greatest accomplishments of the story when you look at it from a business owner's perspective. But this wouldn't be where that part of the story would stop. Earlier, I had spoke about Bob Iger doing his best Walt Disney impersonation on the end of the marketing side of acquiring new content. Disney would own ABC in 1996, but under Bob Iger's leadership, they would go on to own Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel, to buy out portions of 20th Century Fox, their probably largest competition. And in an unprecedented move, create Disney Plus, not an actual property, but a pipeline to not only distribute all of these big pillars of the industry that they had acquired, but a new creative pipeline, a way to take big chances with small risk. The pipeline of Disney Plus will continue to feed the company in ways that we can't even imagine right now because it is so low risk to greenlight a six series episode or a one-off made-for-TV movie. The formula is simple. Whatever hits, we put more into it. Whatever misses, we just easily walk away from it. You can't do that with ABC or with releasing stuff to the cinema. This is a very easy pipeline for creativity to take chances in ways that they probably never could afford to take chances before. And this new creative pipeline that maybe accidentally got released at the right time or just the perfect time became an economic win 
that would save Disneyland. When Disneyland would be shuttered by the 2020 global pandemic, would Disney Plus end up being the second time that TV saved Disneyland in its two most crucial moments of need, one time to build the park and one time to save the park? TV has always been a great friend of Disneyland and a continued supporter in the marketing, the magic of Disneyland. And as an independent creator over on the platform of YouTube, I take great honor of being a part of that tradition on taking people into the park, giving people a window into the magic. I'm just one small person, but there are so many more like me as we've come into this moment where Disneyland, a product that was packaged and served on TV before it was actually materialized, can now be seen on TV every hour of the day. So whether it's something new that will be coming to Disney Plus or something that you want to watch over on YouTube or looking at photos on Instagram or a story that someone tells you on a podcast, this perfect backdrop of storytelling is now a story that's being told everywhere at all times. Walt told this story before it was real. He told this story to us because we wanted to believe it, but most importantly, he told it to himself because he needed to believe that he could finish it and bring his life's last big dream into fruition. And it has always been marketed and has always been sold through a screen whose shape and dimension and size has changed over time, but through a screen that we all want to look through, which is a window into Disneyland. So when I look at July 17th, 1955, I forget about all the temporary setbacks and disasters, but I look at the broad strokes of the marketing of this significant release in a cultural phenomenon, but more importantly than that, how this story was told before it existed and how this story will be told to the rest of time. And just like Disneyland didn't invent the theme park, it didn't invent TV, but it will leave an impact and an impression on both theme parks and theme park presented entertainment through little screens, big screens, imaginary screens, screens implanted inside of our head, noculus screens, one way or another, it will continue to be a story that gets told time and time again from different voices on different platforms. And just think, this honored tradition started just 475 days before anyone set a foot into Disneyland. I hope you enjoyed this episode's Disneyland story. Coming up next, I have my good friend, Philander Butler, to join me to talk even more about the opening of 1955 and lessons that the world has still been learning from this monumental moment in pop culture. But coming up in today's bonus content for members of Club 1313, we talk even more about the creative pipeline that is Disney Plus, how they're going to get into doing the C series and how they're going to create a backstory for a Disney parks multiverse of storytelling that sort of stitches it all together. An exciting time to be a fan and an exciting time to see how Disney will use 
their own creative platform of Disney Plus to keep telling new stories. That's coming up for members of Club 1313. But right now, coming up for everyone is part two of today's podcast, where I'm joined by Philander Butler, and we talk all about July 17th, 1955. And if you're joined today's episode, please do me a favor, just share it somewhere. Leave a review on the podcast platform you're listening to, or maybe share it over on social media. Let everybody know all the fun that you're having being a citizen of Disneyland when the gang gets together every Wednesday, except for next week. I have Jared coming on the show. Next week episode will be pushed over to Thursday for a very special reason that we'll tell you all about when Jared returns for episode 56 of Disneyland for Designers. But right now, it's Philander Butler in part two of episode 55, July 17th. Now there's new fun and excitement waiting for you at Disneyland. The opening of the Magic Kingdom's most exciting new attraction, Pirates of the Caribbean. Enjoy a rollicking adventure with the boldest crew of swashbucklers ever to terrify the Spanish main. Bloodthirsty cutthroats attack a sleepy town. You're in the thick of the action as these three-dimensional pirates dug the town's magistrate, auction its fair maidens, and set the whole village ablaze. Join the fun and excitement of Disneyland's newest and greatest attraction. An entirely new kind of family entertainment. Pirates of the Caribbean. An audio-animatronic experience you'll never forget. See it now at Disneyland. Pirates of the Caribbean. As always, it's good to be back. <laughs> July 17th. Oh. 1955. World's forever changed. Forever changed. Not only is Southern California and Anaheim forever changed. World of theme parks change. But as I talked about in the first half of tonight's show... Really, the the world of marketing and live entertainment, like mm-hmm. you know, people love the magic, but everything that I talked about are the <laughs> things that like fund the magic, and ultimately, you know, Disney being able to own their own pipeline with the entertainment mm-hmm. companies that they've purchased over the years, you know, them buying ABC was just step one, and step where one. we're at now with, you know, I when you go to the licensing show in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. Disney has their own wing. Yep, everybody else is in the same area, and they have this just banner that says you know the walt disney company yep. and underneath it it has disney logo it has a pixar logo it has a star wars logo and uh it's the big flex logo it is the fle- it's just like <laughs> these are our brands yep and any of those brands is just a world all into its yep. own so when you look back at 1955 july 17th what do you see now in the parks that that you feel is like a core separator for like how Disney carved out their own path and went their own way. But you know, that the, these principles were laid down on that opening day. Yeah. To me, I always look back at it and I see, I know everyone talks about black Sunday and all that stuff. I yeah. see more. So for me, the, the days leading up to it is the most fascinating to me, like watching that fevered pace of like, we have to get this done. Right. You know, even like, Walt's team saying, can we push this back like a couple of days? <laughs> nah, like, it's good. It's, no, we're going to make it. But seeing the tenacity, or even hearing stories of Walt actively painting the night prior to yeah, get it done, yeah. like that, every time I think about the opening day, I'm always imagining, or I'm always thinking about the all that it takes to just get this stuff ready for the guests. Like you've, you've 
you've you've set this stuff up for months and months on TV. You've kind of almost promised like people are active like kids are dreaming about this place. Like you have set a precedent that really has never before been done and now you're and it's now now like actively um delivering on that yeah. premise. Like doing everything you can to get it done. And I every time I think about that day I imagine just what it took to actively bring it together, the everyone rushing, the the camaraderie, the teamwork. I'm sure people were getting mad too. I can imagine, like, oh, yeah. just, <laughs> Walt just like move that, move that tree. Like, that's not it's not the right spot. Like, well, that becomes one of those things where it's like you can't be nice and get that done. No, you can't. You, ego aside, like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm paying you. If I want the tree ten feet over, get it ten feet over. This gazebo's blocking my castle. Yeah. Get it out of here, guys. Out. My way. Move it on down the road. <laughs> and, and you really moving at that fever pitch. You can't be everybody's friend. No, you got to get it done. People got mad for sure. For sure. I always think of that picture of Walt. I know it was an opening day, but it's the one where it's the 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 guy on uh, Main Street that's like working on the trolley tracks, and Walt's like literally standing over. <laughs> yeah. I, I think every time, like, oh, <laughs> like almost like that guy made a mistake, and like Walt called him in from home. Yeah, and he's like, "You're gonna fix this right now." Yeah, <laughs> we're not waiting for this. I I like that other footage though, where they're out around the monorail track, mm-hmm. and Walt has a wrench and he's down in the dish, like yes. doing a couple of turns. <laughs> and I, I I just always love the idea of him like, "So how are we? Oh, do you mind if I try that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. just and no one telling him no either. Like, Come on in the ditch, Mister Disney. <laughs> it's your ditch, Mister Disney, in a suit and everything. <laughs> but sort of the. That marketing rollout, right? Like yes. what you said. They built the model. Mm-hmm. They built the TV show. They essentially walked you through the concept art. Yeah. So you hadn't even been there yet, and you had an idea mm-hmm. of you know the way that the TV show would start. They would take you to the different lands. They would take existing content and sort of crowbar it into those like storytelling devices, which were the lands. Mm-hmm. Like this is a really, really heavy marketing rollout. Yeah. To the degree of, as far as I'm aware of, things just weren't marketed that way. No, n- in, not in to 19, that extent. In 1954. But everything is so marketed that way in 2024, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're literally looking at something <laughs> that not only did they change the course of, of theme parks and what it means, you know, when you go over to YouTube, you can see like, oh, there was almost a... Uh, a 20th Century Fox theme park built in Dubai. Yep. And all of these parks always follow the core principles of Disney land. Mm -hmm. Lands divided up by themes, Mm -hmm. you know, a central location that's the icon, like just all of these things. But to me, it's just so fascinating that, you know, for once kind of ignoring the park Mm -hmm. and thinking about the marketing behind it, that was such a steam engine that they started and it's just been running ever since. Yeah, and like so many little things like uh, the famous Walt and Herb Ryman like weekend. The Lost Weekend? <laughs> yes, where they like just, and oh, poor Herb. What'd you do like, this weekend? <laughs> huh? Uh, my friend, my, my boss, he made me like <laughs> all, all sleepy. Draw some stuff. <laughs> but I mean, think about this. Once again, the unlucky person in every story mm-hmm. is Roy. Yes. Who's just like Poor Roy. You know Roy was hitting Walt up on his page or like, Hey <laughs> you think that drawing's gonna be ready for Bank of America <laughs> by nine AM dog? <laughs> oh uh, my. it's my brother, he's always on my And I can imagine like 
Roy hearing the pitch from Walt. And I know Walt is like giving it his all. And you believe Walt, but he's like, you're not going to be there. Like, yeah. I'm going to be there. And I need something to show them. Like, yeah. I can't I can't do you. I'm not the showman. Like, I'm the other side of the coin. Like, I need, you got to give me something to show them for this. That original illustration, too, it was very pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very cool. It's It's interesting to see the noticeable differences of yeah. that sort of spitballing out and how it got um, sort of massaged into what we know. Yeah. If if that illustration got built as is, that's not as good as what we got. No. Like that, that like, in, like way too huge castle that's in it. Like huge castle. Well, just like the, the Jungle Cruise just mm-hmm. being like this massive thing that's all over the, like the lower part of the yeah. park. You know, mm-hmm. just like they eventually through design by reduction they got the layout mm-hmm. to a way that made sense it was practical it was affordable and also you know getting back to the marketing aspects of things it told a really easy story yes you know when they were making their abc program you know tinkerbell would fly through and oh. then then they would have one of those opening cards that would say frontierland mm-hmm. and now they could take a davy crockett short put it in there and just sell you one. Hey kids, you want to go to Frontierland? Mm-hmm. We're going to have one for you. And something that, that's interesting is like, this was before the federal laws on marketing to the youth. Yes. So you and I grew up and we watched cartoons mm-hmm. on our local independent station when there was only five stations. <laughs> and those independent stations, you know, like what was one of your favorites? I was a huge GI Joe fan. What did you watch after school? Oh man, GI Joe was big for me. Tell um, me, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I turned the recording <laughs> off. I hate those guys. I loved the Ghostbusters cartoon. That was a big one for me. Yeah, because I remember that movie was a big taboo for my mom, uh, where she thought it was too scary. So I like I attached myself to that cartoon. Um, uh, Looney Tunes was big for me coming home. Yeah. Yeah. Animaniacs would have been Animaniacs too, yeah, yeah. like would've the little successor. Then. Yep, yeah, yeah, which had like a Bill Clinton shout out in the. Thing. <laughs> I know <laughs> we got Bill Clinton on the sack. They got away with some. They got away with some low key stuff too, dude. Itchy in the, or um, Ren and Stimpy. Uh, or, Ren and Stimpy's good, but mm-hmm. uh, Pinky in the Brain Pinky is what I was going to say. Like the whole plot there, or Good Feathers. <laughs> yes. like, those are so good. <laughs> like way over our head. Like way, way. Oh over yeah, our head. yeah. But you can enjoy it as an adult yep. and. That's always good entertainment when the whole family can sit down mm-hmm. and people can enjoy it at different levels. But going back to that time, you know, when I would come home from school and watch G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. during that 30 minutes, legally, they could not show yeah. any commercials for G.I. Joe toys because mm-hmm. the young brain can't understand the difference between content yes. and advertising. And that's YouTube got into a whole ball of wax over trying to figure out how, I had heard about that. how to legitimize that mm-hmm. um, in that space. So we go back to 54 when we're hyping up Disneyland. Those roles don't exist. <laughs> and, in, and in many ways, the show is designed just to sell the park to people. Yeah. It's like- and, and unapologetically so. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, we're not pulling any punches. This is what this is. Like, uh, hey. <laughs> It was basically a GoFundMe. Yeah, the original <laughs> GoFundMe. But even watching those old clips, like, knowing now, like, what we know, and we've been to Disneyland, we're visiting, we're actually going to it, you know, in this time period, seeing it then almost is just as exciting now because I kind of put my, myself in that headspace of being at home, not having any knowledge of Disneyland in my head at all, yeah. and watching this guy who's synonymous with... 
fun and cartoons and laughter and watching him sell a place that you can actively visit. Yeah. Like not a thing I'm going to only see on my TV or on a movie screen. Walk into it. Yeah. Like just to, as a kid to, to watch that as a child, even as an adult, cause adults were blown away too. But seeing kids like, like I can go actively to this castle, like can't do anything in the castle. Nope. But I can go. <laughs> but I can walk through it. Walk through the castle. <laughs> uh, lower the bridge for the children. <laughs> of, for the children of the world. <laughs> that night. <laughs> and then never saw him again. Nope. Never saw the bridge go back. Bring him again. back. <laughs> Bring him back. Maybe for like a, uh, an after dark event. Hey, my hot take was that the bridge should have been put up after the pandemic. <laughs> no, that's that. People would lose it. They would actively lose I it. I think that the bridge should have been up for the whole year. <laughs> and on that first rope drop mm-hmm. let's bring it but the problem is, is they would probably do a cast members preview so the audience the gin pop wouldn't get to see that bridge true that's go fine make us take the side routes in and save that for the yeah. guests save that for the paying people yeah let the cms go around yeah i'll go i'll walk around because oh, i want to see the people's reactions of that Dude. where we keep it a secret of it being up and you yes. don't see it until you get right in and then it happens. And reopen it for the children of the world. <laughs> the smiling children underneath their masks. Uh, so work me through this. Mm-hmm. Disney Today. Yes. When you guys look at rolling out new programs like Galaxy's Edge and things like that, mm-hmm. how much of the plan for Galaxy's Edge do you think was borrowed from what happened in 54? I have to imagine they think they have to think about that kind of stuff often because that day is almost y- utilized as a this is the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. And now we're making plans to actively think about because we have no idea what's going to happen <clears throat> for anything until guests actually show up. Like, right. No clue. What are the people going to do when they get there? Like we have a way we like to move them around. Right. But what's actively going to happen? Why don't you let day? people in? Like I, I know from you know people that were working in the Shanghai Park. Yeah. Once people got in there, a whole different culture. Yep. There were lots of parts of the park that oh, we didn't think people would use it that way. <laughs> and they had to redirect, reguide people, resign parts of the park because mm-hmm. it was like a cultural difference. So you're right. Like, and I guess that's why the CEM previews did come around. Mm-hmm. So you guys can test on, you know, good, well-behaved people that work there or their friends and family mm-hmm. that be well-behaved. So you kind of get a flow of like, you know, Galaxy's Edge is a cute thing on paper. Yep. But what does it look like <laughs> when we have 5,000 people just kind of wandering all around it? Yeah, like, oh, we didn't think people would gather in this area or right. we didn't think what happens if this line gets too long. Like right. we, we thought about it up to this point, but it actually got a lot longer. You know, so much time and thought goes into those things. So it's always fun. Like test and adjust is crazy, crazy important. Like they have to send people through. A cast member, you know, sending empty vehicles for web slingers, you know, the new web slingers attraction is not the same as loading people in. Yep. Loading guests with wheelchairs, seeing the flow. How long does it people take? People on their phone that aren't paying attention. <laughs> that too. Maybe that happens sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> you know, one night. Uh, it was at the end of the night, and everybody was trying to hit Peter Pan at the end of the night, right? Of course. So we're at 11.50, park closes at midnight, mm-hmm. and we are literally on the banister there, you know? You're so like right there. You're on the banister, mm-hmm. and you're watching the carts go by, so you know that you're, you know, 10 people in. And this mom and her kid rolls around, and the kid, just to be funny or whatever, 
he jumps off the flying pirate ship to the left instead oh, of the right. <laughs> so he goes off the wrong way. Off to the Casimir walkway side. And you know what that does? Shuts the whole Ew. thing down. And you're he stop. <laughs> like, man, I am, I am eight right here. I am eight away, two and a half minutes to being <laughs> in my car back to Long Beach. And, uh, you know, it's like you've waited that long. You don't want to leave. We had people in from out of town, mm-hmm. so they had to go through and do all the safety checks. But yep. those are the things that you don't know until you get people in there. Mm-hmm. And when people talk about the disaster of yeah. not Black Sunday, but the live Saturday yeah. day before. Mm-hmm. They didn't get that opportunity Mm-mm. because they went right up to the deadline. And, you know, something I've never really heard anybody talk about, but think about this. When Walt is recording those shows and he's telling you mm-hmm. how great this is going to be, he's really telling himself. Yeah. Because it hadn't materialized yet. Mm-mm. Old man Fowler was like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think we could put a boat there, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, let's see what happens. <laughs> like, I wonder how many times when he was filming those, he got lost in his mind and was like, man, I really hope what I'm telling these people yeah. I'm going to be able to deliver on. I mean, think about it. That is an insane gamble mm-hmm. to be on a TV show telling everybody, this is the date, show up, we're going to have it done, and you know what the park really looks like because you were just there like you yeah. know, the, the previous weekend. And it's a lot of dirt and <laughs> and, and wood and steel still. Like him. Harper Golf driving around <laughs> that station wagon. <laughs> Through the jungle cruise. It, it, it's, it'll be a jungle by Thursday. <laughs> You're not going to go. and We're actually at boats. Okay, it's not going to be the station <laughs> it's wagon. It's not going to be a station wagon in the backside of water. <laughs> but yeah, seeing like him say that and so convincingly, you, all, you can almost imagine like you were there when he was initially pitching it to the people, like anyone that would listen. Right. And you can see his enthusiasm for it because he's selling what's in his head. And obviously he has help with the video clips we see and then the concept art and stuff. But you're almost getting it like, because there's stories of Walt like stopping anyone at the studio to be like, hey, like I've got this thing coming up, you know? And then you like getting mesmerized by seeing this man, uh, Describe his dream to yeah, you, yeah. you know, and how could we not become like almost intoxicated by that program, that TV program? It's just so weird because I don't think a lot of people have watched that program Mm-mm. and think about everything he's telling you is essentially, I'm not going to say it's a lie, yeah, but it's a best wish, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, and, and, and nowhere in those shows they ever say, so what we're going to try to do like, everything <laughs> yeah. was stated as if it was already sitting there waiting fine print at the bottom of the screen yeah. <laughs> so may I, not appear as <laughs> it could could or could not be there. yeah but I, I just i think that that sort of like insanity the world has gone past that yeah. right building something like that in a year's time yeah making a tv show about it before it's built mm-hmm. you know like nowadays i know that imagineering i was fortunate enough to get to see um Scott Tolbridge talk about you know mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge, Mister Entertainment, and you know he they were talking about how they use you know uh, inoculus headsets mm-hmm. to like oh the dome at WDI they see oh. everything before it's actually built they yep. like go into a room mm-hmm. it sounds that way it feels that way like they walk through these envir- environments before anything's put into the ground and one of the most fascinating things that they showed in this uh, lecture was how they track the customer excitement. Mm-hmm. 
and how they try to build an attraction like Rise of the Resistance in three acts. Yes. And they showed, like, you know, they literally showed a video, kind of like clips of the, mm-hmm. the various stages, all the different stages, actually. And this little red graph would kind of go up, and it would drop a little bit, but it'd go up, and it would drop a little bit. But ultimately, mm-hmm. that red graph started out at, like, one on the left, and by the end of that attraction, it had made its way up to, like, 24. Yeah. <laughs> we're at peak excitement now. Peak excitement. And they were literally showing how each room does something to, like, bring you down a notch, move mm-hmm. you up a notch. And so that's where we're at today, right? Like, they can essentially know what the human mindset and expectations will feel like when they go through something. Yeah. Back then, they're like, it's going to be a jungle. <laughs> going to be a jungle with some animals sprinkled around. And and we're going to take the old trees. We're going to turn them upside down because that looks kind of uh, crazy. Now it looks like a weird like tree that no one's ever seen before. I mean, you think most of these people have been to the Nile? Do they <laughs> know that those one. aren't there? <laughs> but it, it, it was a magic trick. Yeah. And, and, and kind of worked out for him that it was so beloved and that people loved the movie so much because... A little bit of a snake oil salesman. Yeah. You know, until it was actually real, it was all like a really great gamble. Mm-hmm. It could have buried his legacy. It was the biggest gamble. Like, that's what I love about Walt, is that Disneyland, for sure, was the biggest gamble of his career. And gambling that late in his life. He, when he like, didn't need to. When he didn't need to. He didn't need this at all. Like, he, 50, uh, 55 years old, like, I'm going to do this insane thing that everyone's going to tell me no. I'm already one of the, I will, even if Disneyland is not created, I will still go down as one of the most successful entertainers, pro, entertainers, producers, storytellers of oh, all he, time. He still holds a record for Academy Awards. Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. But I love, and this is the thing that you can't let go if you're a creative. He loved movies mm-hmm. until he conquered them. Yeah. And then he was done with them. And a lot of people, when they get good at something, they don't have the self-confidence to say, I've done my best here, and I'm ready to move on to do my best elsewhere. And I think that that's kind of where I really start to fall in love with the Walt Disney-like story. Yeah. Is that he had already, like, I, you know, making Snow White phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know, then being crazy enough to make Fantasia, God bless you. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I just recently showed... My daughter, we did both, and yeah, the first one is not for her. Yeah, <laughs> surprisingly, she's a bigger fan of the 2000 version. Yeah, obviously made yeah. for more so the kids of today. Yeah, but you still appreciate the, ex- the very, very experimental nature. Dad, these are brooms. <laughs> What's going on here? There's hippos. She she didn't care until Mickey showed up. Oh, of course, <laughs> all the star power. But you know, when you look at how he just threw that away. Mm-hmm. No wonder nobody could see his vision of Disneyland because all they could see was what he was essentially turning his back on. Yeah. And that's the part of him that I love the most because when you are born with the curse of creativity, Mm -hmm. all you see are problems that need to be solved. Yeah. And sometimes it's in your wheelhouse and sometimes it's not. But if the problem is so big... Like, the whole reason why I got into this ball of wax is because I love Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And there were very few people that I felt told the story properly and said, well, I guess I got to do it. <laughs> and I jumped in, you know, because I felt like there was something that was missing and I was already successful doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So not saying that I'm nearly as successful or as crazy as Walt is, but that's the part of the guy that I'm most 
drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that people can't understand. So once again, living in 1954, mm-hmm. you're really going to get rid of your house in Palm Springs to do this? Yeah. Like, you know? Everyone's like, uh, like, Walt, like, essentially, you're done. Like, what are you doing? You don't, what do you, what do you, what do you need more of? <laughs> you're done. You, what do you, you don't have to do this. The quote like, from Wall Street, like, how many yachts can you water ski from ski behind <laughs> at the same time? You know what I mean? It's just like, it was an insane gamble. And him being, like you said, like creative, so creative, like you can't turn that off. You know, like just you're constantly creative. You're constantly thinking. Yeah. And it was, it's that one of those quotes that he has that's not played that often. Like the the, the company doesn't share it. Don't as forget often, it was always great about Mouse. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we know. Yeah. It'll never be done. <laughs> it'll never be done. But it's a quote where he straight up says, Snow White is a dead issue to me. <laughs> like, str- like word for word, well, not what, a paraphrase. Why don't they have that on a plaque? Where is. <laughs> Snow White is a dead issue to me. I don't care about that anymore because yeah. I can't change it. I did it. It's done. It's out. I'm moving on to the next thing, which is why Disneyland is so important because he wants to create a place that he can constantly adjust yeah. all the time. And and that is another reason why I think that that was such a great project to sort of hang up life on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I talk about this all the time. I love the Sim City yeah. factor of Disneyland. And like right now... You know, this last year, sorry to keep kind of bragging about myself here, but (laughs) this last year, I felt like a lot of people that are, you know, this generation's Disneyland, like, storytellers Mm -hmm. through TikTok and Instagram and and through, you know, YouTube or podcasting, when there wasn't this, like, big new thing to stand next to, a lot of people went other directions. Mm -hmm. And people started uploading videos for parks that they'd never even mentioned before. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of was like, I want to get into this hardcore because this is going to be one of the most interesting parts of the Disneyland Yeah, the year that it closed. And we got to live through it. We've been talking about this a long time, like even telling my daughter who right now has zero clue about it, she's four, but in the future, you know, like it was gone. She won't think about this. Gone Three days until it was gone for a year. Yeah. Which is wild. And, And right now, it is a fascinating time because we're just waiting to get news about kind of getting things back. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, that's depressing because they want news about more, more yep. lands, more attractions, yep. more more premieres, more entertain, entertainment offerings. So we're in a very interesting news cycle, but that Sim City factor yeah. is kind of... There's more happening now mm-hmm. than what was originally planned for... 2021 just because we fell so low in 2020 yeah if that if that makes sense at all Mm -hmm. right like we're literally now always going to our favorite websites our favorite you know channels wherever that may be and just being like what's new right (laughs) yep and in an interesting way even though it's you know sort of forced by bad news it is a fascinating time to be a hardcore fan and to me People are like, when are you going to go to Walt Disney World? I'm like, why? There's so much Disneyland to talk about right now. It's true. You know, like this thing is to me, like Walt Disney World, God bless them. The gates are open. They're getting more and more back to normal. They're they're, like, that's Mm -hmm. not a very exciting story to tell. Yeah. They're open. It's happening. Disneyland. That's the wild story to tell. (laughs) Like tonight Mm -hmm. I saw lights being tested on Main Street. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is enough for some people. Yep. Saturday, Bricky. (laughs) (laughs) It's opening. (laughs) You see that? It's all the horses again. Yeah. (laughs) So, as somebody who has been trained through the Walt Disney Company, 
Um, I know fans make a lot out of the opening mm-hmm. or the the first years. Mm-hmm. Do they talk about that with you guys at all, or is it is the story kind of just evolved into like this is what we've done over the last fifty years? No, they spent a lot of time because I half of our I think if you look at the Walt Disney Company, you know half of its marketing half of its existence is based off of nostalgia it's based off what came before obviously the future is a big deal with the new things coming but every if you look at every any commercial we've ever done or any at the time we've tried to sell anyone on anything nostalgia always plays a part so was that always a part of things or was there a moment like after disneyland had been around for 20 years mm-hmm. they started to lean on that do you know that one i'd love to look into that because i can imagine at the very beginning that wasn't a big thing i would say maybe even more so after walt passed away that would have been like a a big highlight to not have you forget the man because i think it's easy for people to fall into the trap of like this is disneyland and because even myself and my wife have tried to like tell my daughter that's walt disney you know and to her it, it doesn't compute as much like she knows the place but not the guy that came before it so i think probably after he passed is when they probably really started to lean so now any new cast member comes they go to traditions and take a class and the very first thing you do is sit down and learn about where we started and where we're at and where we're going and i think that is really important so you know this is not just some carnival that has sprouted up like this was dreamed up by a like a man yeah you know a human being and like you said not a perfect guy but still a guy that had a specific want for families and kids to have fun in a place together and where that came from. So regardless of how much I think the individual person retains, it really cements the fact that you are part of something that's much bigger right. than just the like, I work for Burger King now. They've been around for a long time. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you bring up a good point. And, and if I'm being completely honest, mm-hmm. I thought of Disneyland mm-hmm. as Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, I, I knew who Walt Disney was. Yeah. I was an adult. Like, I knew that the man existed. But I think when I really fell in love with Disneyland, like the second or third trip, like mm-hmm. when I was looking at the partner statue, it really started to come to, to me that, oh, man, like, this little park in Anaheim, this was this guy's passion project. Yeah, uh, You know, because Walt Disney World is just... So massive, and it's such a global entertainment force. And yes. That's where people from Europe come. And, you know, most people, if they have money and they want to take their kids to a Disney experience, they want to go to World because it's seen as the more bigger, more yeah. premier, you know, more. there's more luxury, there's more hotels. Yeah. Four and, parks, you know. And so I came to Disneyland really as a skeptic. Like, well, how good could it be? It's mm-hmm. in the middle of this urban Mecca, Southern California. There's not a, you know, all the land is claimed. Everything's expensive. And the charm and magic of it instantly lets you know like oh this was kind of a carnival yeah until it became an icon to the world to the mm-hmm. world caught up with his vision so i i look back at july 17th as obviously the, the birth of disneyland yes but there are i think so many bigger stories to be told and the one that always i gravitate towards the most is that marketing rollout, mm-hmm. making the TV show, and then, you know, as I said in the first part, I mean, eventually not needing any of your tenants. Yeah. Eventually buying the network that you brokered a deal with <laughs> to sell your, your yeah. you know, like those are just those full circle moments where, I mean, imagine when they had that meeting, like, you know what would make us more money <laughs> is to get rid of our tenants. Whoa, 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 hey there. You know how much they're paying, right, to be on Main Street. No, but get this. 
we take manufacturing overseas. Mm -hmm. We hire our own cast. We sell our own stuff. We don't have to give ourselves a, uh, you know, royalty to put Mickey Mouse things on things. (laughs) We own Mickey Mouse, or we can, and we can embezzle money. But (laughs) we like essentially the idea to get rid of the tenants is an insane idea itself. I mean, that's really like one of the core ways where we make money. I think we can make more money if we slowly kick these people out and take the shops over ourselves. Yep. I just don't think people stop and think about that because they're so used to how it is now. Yes. And when you look at the historic uh, uh, footage, you always have to sort of look at something back and and put yourself in that that time. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to think about yeah. Forget about what I know right now. Yeah. What did they know? Like context know? is king when looking back on historical things. So sitting down and saying, okay, right now we have all these people on main street that are paying us money let's slowly start getting rid of them mm-hmm. and take it over ourselves. like that is another insane <laughs> right and i remember do you remember um were you had you started being at disneyland when they announced the starbucks coming no i only know it with a starbucks okay because i remember that was a big deal to a lot of people like What's they, Starbucks? They can't, you know, they can't be but here. But McDonald's and, had been in there. Yeah, and that's, that's what I understand. Like that, they had their the Castanoga Fry Wagon, and they had the uh, Burger Invasion. Oh, I love right. it. Rest in peace. It's my back tattoo. <laughs> A pullback, <laughs> colored in. <laughs> Big giant burger. Could you imagine? You would never swim again. <laughs> just like, never go into a public pool again if you had Burger Invasion. Like people just like double taking. Like, is that? Is that Burger Nation? <laughs> yeah, well, California Adventure? Yeah, do you mind putting some suntan lotion on me? I'm a little fair. I burn pretty easy. But I remember everyone being like, really like, whoa about that, you know? And that's, it's it's kind of a part of our history. And there, people had complained about the coffee there for years anyway. So I think that was a long time coming. But seeing, uh, seeing that, I you know, and I think it's the people that really get mad or upset about changes, but seeing Starbucks come in, and or any like change that has to do with an outside tenant or us working with somebody else, I think yeah. people get that like kind of weird vibe, and I think they just they're not thinking about the history of you know this is how this place began you know right. and not saying I don't think Starbucks is going anywhere how like kind of we move the tenants out but like we're we're doing what came before us you know like us us understanding that people want a very specific thing so we're giving it to them. You know, just like how Walt used those tenants not only to help pay for the park, but they had brand names up on the walls of Main Street, you know, that people were familiar with. And it made it feel more real. Mm -hmm. Right. It sold Main Street because people understood like Carnation, you know. Yeah. Carnation, Upjohn, like these places meant something to people. Yeah. It it legitimized like, oh, that's an interesting location for them. Mm -hmm. And the Starbucks thing too, like what a lot of people don't get is like Starbucks is a licensing deal. Yeah. Right. And Disney is a licensing deal. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to the foreign parks where they're not... Uh, Paris, but if you go to the parks in Asia, yeah. it's a licensing deal. Mm-hmm. Like those technically aren't Disney parks. It's just all the IP that they're getting forty cents on the dollar for. <laughs> so, I I really think that what I enjoy about us getting together and talking about stuff like this is, you know, it's so easy to get lost in the emotional part of the park. Yes, but I love saying this: Disney is a business that makes magic. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again: <laughs> Disney is a business. Louder, louder that makes magic and in order to make the magic you got to focus on that business part the business side is almost 
I mean, obviously, the, I think the creative side wins over, obviously, but... Yeah, because the business side isn't as sexy, mm-hmm. but it's definitely just as fascinating. Oh, number crunching is the... <laughs> <laughs> well, and two, I think one of the things that people have enjoyed about the type of content that I do and the conversations we have mm-hmm. is that we don't treat that business side like it's evil or bad. No. Like, it is... It means to an end. It is, it is, and if you really fall in love with the way that the park runs... Mm-hmm. How can you like the magic if you don't like the thing that funds that it, right? Feeds the feeds it. Yeah. That feeds it. And, and also, the more that you understand, the more that you become a student of Disneyland mm-hmm. and apply your mind to not only like that emotional beat and the creativity at all, but how does the business part work? Mm-hmm. And you've seen, and I like I hate that I keep kind of like bragging about myself, but I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm talking about this in a way where I hope other people can kind of open their mind to this, like, I've been pretty good at breaking down Ken Potrock's like poetry that he's been mm-hmm. putting out because I can see the business in there, what he's going for. And from a logical perspective, like, well, this is probably what he's trying to say and this is how they'll do it because mm-hmm. that's what makes sense. And with Disney, you can always go back and look at, well, how have they ran the business in the past? Mm-hmm. Because that is what informs them of how they run the business in the future. So many of the things that people complain about the way the company does things now uh, was ways it was run back when all was alive. Yeah. And I think people, certain people don't, they don't know because they just haven't gone back to look at it. But a lot of the things that we do now were done then we're almost bothering in certain cases, the exact same business model for how we do attractions, how we do licensing deals. Like it's like almost repeating itself. How much do you think would, I have officially destroyed another pair of $400 headphones. <laughs> How much do you think that it would completely blow Walt's mind? If you saw the park today, mm-hmm. you know, let's just ignore all the technology. Yeah. But the idea of flat rate Disneyland. Mm. No more tickets, right? Mm-hmm. The When I learned that Disney was a place where it was one price to get in, yeah. I was like, oh, that's genius. Mm-hmm. Because if you have to go a la carte on everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. it makes you want to leave. Yeah. It makes you pace yourself. It makes you hold back. Yeah. And the fact that now it's you pay one price and you own it all for the uh-huh. day. Or AP, you pay one price and you own it all for a year. That is such a more enticing way to Disney than like, mm-hmm. oh, here's your book. Every time you ride one, you got to tear a page out. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you're like counting until you're going to be out of the good times yeah. or have to go spend more money. How many E's you got in that book? Yeah. How many are left? <laughs> it's like the, the big fight Beth and I always get into before we leave the house. She's like, now I want to be gone by nine. I'm like, you're not even there yet. <laughs> How do you know that you want to be gone at nine? You know that for sure. You're not even there yet. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, nine, I, I'll always say this. Nine past one, totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. I'm out of there with you. No, I, 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 I do think, though, that, you know, with all of these famous stories, mm-hmm. there's always a sort of a part that history has turned a blind eye to. Yes. Because it's not the sexy way to tell the story, mm-hmm. or it's not the, the way that rhymes, or it's not the fable. But man, oh man, the marketing, the rollout, the layout, and then the comeuppeth, you know, to say, hey, we need these partners to build this thing, mm-hmm. and then building the thing so efficiently that you eliminate those partners. Yeah. And now you own your own content pipeline. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus has been 
the uh, life preserver of the company. Yeah, the biggest life preserver. <laughs> and now they're seriously doubled down on, on that, which we're getting ready to talk about in today's mm-hmm. bonus content for members of 1313. But, you know, there are just so many things that happen on the business side of things that forever change the park that it it's hard for me to focus on. Well, they had to choose between toilets or drinking. For <laughs> In that voice, too. <laughs> and Walt said, uh, well, we can't have them peeing in the streets. So. <laughs> or can we? <laughs> or can we? Yeah. So we're going to have to give them the water. <laughs> the toilets. All right. I, I think we have hopefully given people a couple of things to look at and to think, of, to think about. Yes. And, and I hope the next time, do yourself a favor. The next time you watch some legacy footage of Walt Disney, mm-hmm. look at what year that footage is from, and don't think about what you know now. Try to hold yourself up to only what they knew at that moment. Yep. If you teach yourself that discipline of context and history, you will look at all that footage in an entirely different way. Yes. And it's like, you know, I've talked about these with you before. When the Tiki Room opened, oh, standalone gosh. ticket. Mm-hmm. It was its own thing inside of Disneyland. And imagine this. I'd like to say that's the first upcharge. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. first Disneyland upcharge. But think about this. That thing was probably so groundbreaking, mm-hmm. and there was articles about it in the LA Times, that at some point, a couple got on their best Sunday best, mm-hmm. drove the big oversized Buick down from the city, parked, went into the Disneyland park got their extra ticket and sat down and when they saw those birds talking and the flowers and the tiki Mm -hmm. gods and the rain go off they must have went afterwards had a 25 cent cup of coffee and just like my favorite part was this my Mm -hmm. favorite part was that you know what i mean and like broke it down like we were like dude rise of the resistance i didn't even see that (laughs) right like it's easy to go in there like man the, the the animatronics are louder than the music Mm-hmm. But when you look at it at the context, like I'm so in love with the idea of people going down to Disneyland just to discover Walt's Tiki Room. Yeah, like that. Like I think we and you and I have talked about this. That's the same where I love that mindset where I've been on it enough times. And I know you have too, like Pirates. What was that like when they first did it? Which is why I kept telling people and trying to t- describe the context of Rise of the Resistance overall. Of like, this is our Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. Like, a time when you are just absolutely flabbergasted. I stood at the exit of that thing around like for a few days after opening when I wasn't busy watching people, you know, when you come out of the building and you're you kind of rotate to the uh, unload. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, I've been on a couple times. I, I was like, hey Philander, you're just standing there like you could help me in the back. Nope. <laughs> nope. Go stand in line, Bricky. But watching people's faces when they came out, like yeah. it was either they were everyone was cheering or clapping when they realized it was done, or it was straight up a silent vehicle, Bricky, as their minds tried to rewind the entirety of the experience. Not just the attraction itself, but everything leading up to it. You know, like just it's, it's the reason they put the they had those promotional shots of where they placed the camera towards the back of where the stormtroopers were, so they got that reaction of people coming out. And the reaction is always the same. You're just like I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Like, right. And I think about that all the time when I'm writing Mansion, Jungle Cruise, Pirates, Tiki Room. Just being there and just being like, how is this? You know. Or even talking about uh, Juan the Barker Bird that's outside a tiki room where he used, he was there to like essentially sell what the tiki room was. He was a carnival barker. Yeah, and they had to get rid of him because everyone was stopping to stare at him. Just they're clogging up the path. <laughs> they're like, this is amazing. Yeah, I, I think that as I've really fallen in love with the park, that's something I've tried to do is look at each one of those accomplishments mm-hmm. in the context of New Orleans Square opened 
without a ride. Oh, I, can I tell you how many times I used that for people? When people they were, were like, pumped. <laughs> they were so excited. They're like, oh, Galaxy's Edge, only smugglers run. I was like, you know, New Orleans Square had no attractions. Just for two like guys dancing year. in the street. And then they had pirates. And that was the sole attraction until Mansion came, like, years after that. Like, you can wait for Rise of Resistance because people did it before you. Like, you're going to be all right. You know, I, I feel so bad for both Rise of Resistance and, in particular, Magic Happens. Oh. Just both of them were just the knees. getting ready to start their legacy stories. And uh, that, that, that last year was their summer. I know. They were about to blow it I up. Know. And I, I feel, feel more so bad for Magic Happens just because... You know, there were a couple of people that that was going to be the thing that mm-hmm. broke their career open. And in particular, the young man that wrote the score and all yeah, that Yeah, Tantric, stuff. yeah. Like, that was a big deal. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Like, you know, like, that is literally one of those bios. Where like, and then when I signed the deal for the Disney parade, it looked like it. <laughs> and then the pandemic <laughs> happened. And the pandemic happened. All right, let's do this. Let's uh, say goodbye to folks that are listening today for the story of July 17th. Hopefully, though, I would encourage you, next time you watch, you know, legacy footage, try to only think up until that moment. Like, mm-hmm. forget what you know. Forget Rise of the Resistance. Just think about them trying to tell you, like, it's going to be a tiki room. Yeah. There's going to be birds that will talk to you. And think about how that had not been done before. I think you'll get a better appreciation for it. And then when the park reopens, literally try to go through the park and ride things thinking, like, what was Haunted Mansion like opening day? Oh, like, my gosh. Were people like, is that... Pepper's Ghost. <laughs> is that Pepper's Ghost? Like I, people going into that building, Bricky. They enter that that foyer. No, nowhere to go. Then the door opens. Uh, then they step into another room. Nowhere to go. Then the room starts stretching. People are like, "What is happening?" Oh my lord! <laughs> I can't even imagine. Like. Just being absolutely flabbergasted by what's happening, and just like you, you and I always say, you only ride it, you only ride the new thing one time. You, only you get, get one, one first ride, one first ride, man, mm-hmm. and then it's just you're locked out. I I thought about that so much, uh, just trying to look at each one of those vignettes, you mm-hmm. know, and like what was it like to be in the '64 World's Fair, yeah, doing everything else, and mm-hmm. then you go on Small World, yep. And, you know, I know that it's they extended it for Anaheim mm-hmm. and, and brushed it up a little bit. Or, you know, one that I was talking about the other day. Imagine when Abraham Lincoln oh, stands God. for the first time. The ultimate Disney flex. Yeah. Right? Like Walt, or uh, sorry, Walt. Uh, <laughs> Lincoln, like, not enough to have him talk to you, but to see him stand up. They're like, oh, it's Lincoln. He's going to say something. Then he stands up and you're like, lean back in your jaw. Like, whoa. He's going to kill us. <laughs> this, this, is this is where we go. <laughs> All right. Coming up now for uh, Club 1313 members. Thank you so much for supporting the content over at club1313.com. I thought it would be great for us to go over. We've talked about how the opening of the park, you know, essentially they used ABC as the pipeline and then eventually they'd buy ABC and that would just become a series of acquisitions to own all this content and then disney plus became the the big pipeline something i thought it'd be great for you and i to talk about for uh the first ever bonus content oh, for here we go for our members is i know that before they had mentioned that they were going to be doing the c mm-hmm. right s-e-e s-e-a series over on disney plus mm-hmm. this is something that you've been very excited about yes and before we get any further talking about different content creators you my friend make a lot of people happy with your imaginary Mondays <laughs> mm-hmm. and with your uh, stories, how you do your different competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I saw a lot of people over in Club 1313 on our private Discord mm-hmm. talking about, like, man, I love Philander's, um, you know, his tournaments and how he mm-hmm. does those things. And, like, dude, you – people were standing over there. It, it's their thought. It's my thought as well. You've done an excellent job over the last year of rising to the occasion mm-hmm. and keeping the magic alive. So thank you for being a great content creator. Yeah, I appreciate everybody, too, like – uh, not being at work was is wild. Like especially if you, like, obviously it's a means to an end. It's you know for my family. We've talked about that before. You're doing what you're doing to support your family, but man, when you love it, man, you yeah. love it. And yeah. I, the, the fun thing for me was I think a lot of people thought that or think that I started those Mondays because the polls, of course, came and the tournament stuff came during it. As I was trying to think of ways to you know do more fun stuff, but I started the Mondays back. I was still working. And I did it because I wanted a way to connect with people, not just at my job. Like not everybody gets to walk through the park with me or even with you, you know, like, yeah. so people get to learn from you through your podcast, you know? So I was like, I, I would love to share this stuff with just people. Like I, my job doesn't allow me to just like, Hey, you want to see something cool? Like I can't do that all the time. So let me just hey, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on. For what we're paying, let that kid stand in the street. Yeah. He doesn't need to see it's, what we're seeing. It's fine. Oh, um, but it was a way to keep me busy, keep my mind sharp, because yeah. this stuff I talk about all the time, like, you know, you kind of kind of get there's so many stories that we know. And the less you say them, sometimes they kind of dip out a little bit. So it was a way for me to engage with people and enjoy writing because the comments part is my favorite part. Like, oh, obviously, people like it. Yeah, they click like the heart. Cool. Like, I appreciate that. But the people that comment, oh, my God, now you've got me going. Like, I feel like I'm at work now because... Right. I can imagine myself showing someone that and then us now starting a conversation about it afterwards. Yeah. So that gave me just a bit about like, gave me a little like lift up from that. And then the poll thing, like I love when a ton of people are passionate about something and then you make them choose between something. Hey, it gets rough. <laughs> yes. When you make me pick between Coco or Tangled. Which story is sadder? The little boy that had to drink the cocoa? <laughs> or the girl that sold her hairbrush uh, to buy him a watch? Yeah, I mean, you've done such a good job, though, at at, at keeping that alive and, and giving people something fun to look to. And I know, like, like I, like me... Mm-hmm. The reaction is the payoff. Yeah, every right? time. It's the comments or when I'm streaming live. Like, you know, when we do the live streams. On yes. The pitches, like, that is actually a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And to see that chat and people talking or, like, when I'm walking through the park and I can't keep my eye on that little tiny <laughs> print on my phone. Print. Just to see somebody ask a question and other people in there answer it for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like the community aspect of it. So I think in a lot of ways what creators like you and I have been able to do is keep that community alive. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I know that you've been excited about is this C storyline, right? Yes. So it came, forgive me if, if, if I have this wrong, mm-hmm. but this was something that was birthed through Disney C, right? Yeah, Tokyo, where they were the first that got anything even related to that. And then it slowly spread out. And C stands for? Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And essentially what they were doing was giving backstories Mm -hmm. to attractions Mm -hmm. that are kind of more experiential and not really tethered to something directly like the the cocoa ride where you get to the top (laughs) 
And then, you know, the Peppers go, so go, oh, look, I'm a skeleton. But then you go through the Cocoa Factory. <laughs> You're going to say this enough to where I want to actually see that movie made. <laughs> <laughs> now I want that version of Cocoa. Where, you, you know, it's a rapid ride, but the water's been dyed brown, so you're flowing <laughs> through the cocoa, and then you got to watch out for the marshmallow cubes. And we'll get, like, a really great Peppers ghost effect with a little boy oh, yeah. at the end. <laughs> Turns. Uh, there it is. <laughs> Did you see that? That little skeleton <laughs> turned into a boy. And then for the holidays, they mm. re-theme it, oh re-theme it and the saxophone turns into a boy for soul. <laughs> <laughs> we read all these transformative stories from Disney. Like, when you got something hot, you keep doing hey, it. Hey, <laughs> don't hold back, baby. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. And I and I love because Disneyland was, we didn't get to play a part in this sea thing for so long, which upset me because I'm like, we like we're the original. You better give us something. So right. it wasn't until we got, like, we had tiny sea references, like little, but no like actively blatant ones until we got those paddles at Tropical Hideaway, which is like a we are including you now in this. Yeah. Like they straight up put the names of the characters on the wall. So that was a big. Now Disneyland. You were pumped about that. Oh, I was. Tropical Hideaway, I, I think you and I are the same. Anytime a new space opens, I could care less sometimes what we're selling in it. I need to look at the space uh, to appreciate not only the creativity in designing it. Um, I'm like you also where the way it's set up as far as the park operations part of it is oh. exciting to me. <laughs> oh, can't, can't wait. I mean, we've talked about this before. Avengers mm-hmm. Campus, mm-hmm. if it was like rope drop right now, yep. everybody's running over to Web Slingers. Yep. I'm going to come over here and see what this Doctor, Doctor Strange, <laughs> what is going on, <laughs> people? That's going to be my first thought. And then I want to cruise over to look at the front facade for the Avengers, like, mm-hmm. placeholder, yep. right? Like, yeah, don't worry, we're going to build something later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this at the Haunted Mansion. I know how long it takes. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you promised me something. Yeah, like when I saw the model mm-hmm. of Galaxy's Edge, of course I was intrigued about flying in the Falcon, but I kind of already figured out it's going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. Star Tours, you know, yeah, revved it's, up. Of course, it's, like, it's going to be a something like a simulator at that point. And Rise of the Resistance, I'm like, okay, Star Wars Dark, dark Ride. Of mm-hmm. course, I'm interested. But I, I thought, out of all the times I go on that land, mm-hmm. I really want to see what this forest, like this sort of mm-hmm. Star Wars park area looks like. And then I was very intrigued with what I called out of the gate would be that the two would be New Orleans Square set in space. It you is. Know? Like it's all these roads that's been carved together and that community. So, you know, it's that type of stuff I love. C is is pulling on that together. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, we put some real we put some real Thank you so much for listening to Disneyland for Designers episode 55 July 17th. To hear part two, make sure you head over to club1313.com. Become a member where we have 50 more minutes of bonus content between Philander Butler and myself. So if you're a Club 1313 member, head over to the website right now, log in and download your bonus content. And if you are not a Club 1313 member and it's not within your means, I totally understand. And I say to you, friend, until the next time I see you, possibly over on YouTube with one of the live streams of videos, I'll see you back here next Thursday with a special episode when Jared comes back.